0: Welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the very busy and crowded intersection of faith and reason as more and more people wake up to that fact. I'm Doug Keck, the gatekeeper here, and of course your questions are very important to us on this program at Spitzer's Universe at EW10.com. That's the way to send in your questions, central factor of the program. So please, we encourage you to do that. We also encourage you to check out all of Father Spitzer's Many websites: the Catholic.com, incrediblecatholic.com, purposefuluniverse.com, uh, for all different perspectives. And Father's Universe, of course, the program itself, Father Spitzer's Universe, is always available on our EW10 YouTube channel and the EW10 On Demand page. So if you miss any portion of the program, like to see it again, just check out On Demand. Also, On Demand, we're populating it every day with new programming. Here's a classic. The Journey Home Roundtable on the Eucharist, this is for the year of the Eucharist, Join Marcus Grodi and his guests as they reflect on why the Eucharist was a big part of what drew them to the Catholic Church. All-star cast on that. Check it out for free on our on-demand platform. And, of course, our show topic kind of uh, winding down from Father's Book. This is on Pride, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, available through our EWTM Religious Catalog. Get it before we stop talking about it. That would be good. And of course, Book of the Month for March, both a servant and free, a primer in moral theology by the one and only Father Brian Mullady, host of Open Line on EW10, longtime host on EW10. And speaking of hosts, we have the host with the most out on the coast, our own Father Spitzer. Good to see you.
1: (laughs) Great to be with you, Doug.
0: If you'd like to kick us off with a prayer, that'd be great.
1: (laughs) You bet. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. Please send your Holy Spirit down upon Doug, myself, our whole audience this day so that everything we do and say and hear will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom pray for us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit amen
0: amen thank you as always for being with us father a couple of news stories before we get into our our topic as we'll be kind of winding down over the next couple of weeks uh, your wonderful book and then we'll get into uh, a section from escape from evil darkness having to do with the sacraments Uh, and then uh, we'll move on to your latest book on morality Uh, coming up down the road as well. So just kind of giving people a heads up of the kind of the layout, the road map of where we're going to be going. So a couple of stories. I thought this might be interesting Um, and this is uh, from a a week or two ago, about a week or so ago. National Mm -hmm. Catholic Register, ew 10's newspaper, boy who survived Turkey earthquake says a person in white fed me and then disappeared. And this young man was basically trapped, in one form or another, underground for almost eight days. Did you hear about this story? I didn't hear about it, but I have heard that there were some people who
1: survived uh, over eight days mm. uh, um, down there, underneath rubble and concrete. So, uh, I mean, uh, you know, angels really do appear on the <laughs> earth, there's no question about that. And they uh, they disappear after mm. they're done with their service. and. I know a person, honestly, who was crossing a very busy street in Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, And uh, he um, actually was just about to step onto the street, but didn't notice a car was careening through a red light uh, going in the opposite direction. And uh, all of a sudden, he felt somebody Mm -hmm. just go stop and jerk him back. And then uh, he kind of, you know. Uh, almost fell on his uh, rear end mm-hmm. um, you know there and he turned around and there was no one there mm-hmm. and uh, he, he couldn't figure out who, who did it but uh, uh, you and I both know him and he's a, a wonderful a wonderful person so I mean right. I've heard you know many other stories too right. of a very similar nature you know uh, I remember one one story of a you know a little kid in a Cub Scout uniform stopped this doctor who was uh, uh, going down a you know a street and i think it was arizona mm. um it may have been um, another state close by but anyway um, and uh, so he said oh please help me you know there's this bus has gone down the uh, you know it's cream down the uh, valley and i uh, done this uh, steep embankment here and and uh, there are kids that are stuck uh, in it and uh, many people injured and he was a doctor uh, the one who stopped mm. uh, and uh, He went down there and followed the little child, and uh, they would have never spotted this bus without him. And then um, he gets to the back of the bus, and uh, there he sees a kid, uh, deceased, uh, who looked just like the kid who stopped uh, him in in the car. He turned around, and the little kid was gone. So, I mean, Hmm. I I even know a a person in Florida who told me, you know, that his son had been catapulted from from a car. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like uh, over a dozen feet. And um, he was laying on the ground um, after the injury, and um, a very, uh, you know, tall uh, a man with sort of long blondish hair and sort of a, you know, a kind of dark glasses, um, you know, and uh, just came and, and picked him up mm-hmm. and moved him to the side of the road and gave him some medical attention. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, uh, when he turned around to thank him, he was gone, you know? Um, and uh, I've just heard of it mm-hmm. again and again and again and again. So uh, right. these things happen, and right. um, and uh, I'm not surprised. I right. totally am not surprised.
0: It's interesting, too, because what you talked about, the, the story of the gentleman in the streets, very similar to Mother Angelica's experience, as recounted in Raymond's book about her life, where she was about to step oh. onto the street And she got pulled back, uh, and this car went whipping by, and it was the same kind of thing. Like, there wasn't anybody there, but somebody had had pulled her back, so.
1: Oh, yeah, no, I mean, it... uh Uh, It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I think we really do. If you don't believe in guardian angels, man, once I was, uh, uh, you know, somebody was kind of um, giving me some oral instructions on getting to a corridor, uh, you know, at at a house. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, well, just turn left. Uh, And so I turned left. And It was a stairway, nine granite stairs leading down to a marble platform down below. And, of course, I wasn't expecting it, um, and I just went headfirst down uh, that uh, stairway, and, um, you know, I came out. The only thing that happened to me was I broke my collarbone. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was it but um you know i mean i could have definitely had a subdural hematoma could have you know a fourth vertebrae hit right. you know make me a paraplegic or just plain kill me right. uh, but uh didn't happen mm-hmm. i mean i just kind of rolled i guess all the right ways and, and like a blessed virgin and my guardian angel were helping me <laughs> all at the same time and we had a ser- uh, one of the guys on my board i was at the you know for this at a board meeting mm-hmm. at that at my house and one of the guys at the Um, You know, when I came up, you know, Tim Bush uh, pulled me up the stairway, you know, Mm. he got me up the stairway. He said, you're feeling okay? I said, well, my shoulder feels like it's, you know, cracking every time I'm moving. Mm. And he said, oh, you better go down to the hospital. So I went down there, and uh, the, the, the surgeon guy tells me, wow you know uh, you must have great guardian angels really because uh you really should have had a much more massive injury than you've received i said thanks it's good to know so what do we no, what, I really
0: do believe it right so what so what do we say to people and they say well you know that happened to you or this young boy he had that experience but there's other people who are in similar yeah. situations and there wasn't anybody to pull them back or pull them out of the street or or help feed them for eight days.
1: Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't question why it happens, mm-hmm. because I don't know. Right. I just know sometimes that God has something special in mind mm-hmm. uh, for some people, and I think sometimes uh, God sees that other kinds of interventions would not be good for mm-hmm. other people. But you know, trying to figure out, you know, why did or didn't a miracle occur requires reading the mind of God and that's not quite within my purview yet so I think I'm uh, gonna let that one go (laughs) but uh, it's uh, uh, you know (laughs) so anyway the the main point you know is that um, you know I I do think you know trying to figure it out is probably not a good use of time but I do think when we do get those things and they do happen frequently enough Mm -hmm. um, you know sometimes like with blindness you know I wonder well Okay, you know, um, um, you know, why, why would, mm-hmm. uh, why me? You know, um, I don't think that anymore. Mm-hmm. I I can see all the benefits that come from blindness, and I believe me, I've levered uh, them to as greatest extent possible. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, you know, it, when it first happens, your inclination is to say, well, well, why me? I, you know, why, why couldn't I have just, you know, been like the rest of my family members or something, and. Uh, uh, you know the answer is don't know, and that's the only answer we can give. Uh, it's and no use getting jealous about anything. Just make the u- best use you can out of a, a weakness uh, to drive home your salvation and to drive the ability to serve others toward their salvation. And I think honestly, you know, being blind sometimes um, can really be a help to other people who are going. Blind or have ailments that they just can't figure out. Well, why do I have these things? Mm -hmm. You know, just me being able to say, well, I've got the following three or four benefits from being blind, and these two benefits are great for my salvation. These other two benefits are great for my apostolate. You know, so I, I, I've really gotten a lot of benefits from it. It's Mm -hmm. uh, obviously it's an inconvenience, but all of that can be offered up. And in the meantime, if we're smart enough in the sense of having faith smarts, if um, if we've got enough faith smarts to basically, you know, lever these things toward our salvation and our apostolates, we can get a lot out of it. I mean, Paul levered it for everything it was worth. That's why he says in 2 Corinthians 12, you know, I, I was given a thorn in the flesh, an angel of Satan to beat me to Mm -hmm. keep me from getting proud. But now I know Mm -hmm. that in my weakness is my strength, for as I grow weaker, Christ grows stronger in me." So true, Mm -hmm. so true, so true. And that, of course, is right down the road to to salvation. And it helps us so much to serve other people Mm -hmm. because humility, you know, along with, of course, Uh, being, you know, having that good evangelizing spirit and good study and all that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, with all the preparation, humility is really important, you know, know, super important. I mean, it's right up there with prayer and other kinds of things for being effective apostles uh, for the kingdom of God.
0: Right. Okay, very good. Here's another story uh, out there. I thought get your reaction Mm -hmm. to American College of OBGYNs bans pro-life doctors from conference after they show up at the conference this happened in the last week or so Um, they say that uh, national OBGYN Association can't defend its unscientific pro-abortion position so it banned pro-life doctors from its conference and uh, this person uh, in the in this particular article which came out of the Federalist uh, and they make the point here, they said even though 86% of U.S. OBGYNs say they do not wish to abort babies in the womb, this organization declares that its OBGYNs believe that defending and expanding who can give and get an abortion is essential health care. The organization maintains that babies in the womb do not feel pain at, at, to at least 24 weeks gestation. Yet, they go on to say, studies show that pain receptors are are forming as early as 10 weeks. They also go on to say that the ACOG, which is the name of the group, also dissuades its members from using more than a dozen scientifically accurate terms, such as unborn baby, elective abortion, womb, abortion on demand, to describe the realities of ending life in the womb. They also would prefer abortion later in pregnancy instead of late-term abortion uh... To and and, and according to uh, and in reference to heartbeat bills, uh, they're they're against those and they they refer to them heartbeat bills as gestational age bans. So that gives you a sense of what we're dealing with here. Your thoughts well, as a pro lifer? Well, I mean, like I
1: said, this is yeah. Well, this is the age of euphemisms to mm. begin with. So I'm not surprised that normal terms are being replaced by these uh... euphemistic uh Uh, expressions that uh, are are made up by marketing people, certainly not by physicians or scientists. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the first thing. You know, uh, you can tell that these are non-scientific terms, they're non-medical terms, they're non-even pragmatic terms, they're basically marketing terms. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, you know, the the age of marketing euphemisms is, is here with us to stay, but I would say to any physician who belongs to that group, Mm-hmm. Bail out now, because uh, why would you want this group representing you uh, mm-hmm. if if they are the ones that are literally censoring? common sense good medical and scientific terms and even uh, you know procedures and and are basically um, you know uh, trying with all their might to abort uh, babies in the womb when it's not just 86% of phys- physicians don't want to do this but uh, we have seen that uh, uh, 69% of professional biologists in the US and 96% uh, worldwide Uh, believe that a a new, unique human being comes into existence at the uh, single-celled zygote stage. Okay, if that's the case, then I rest Mm -hmm. my case that um, uh, why would uh, this organization represent any of these physicians or professional biologists? Uh, Once you become members of the CCM, uh, the uh, the, uh, uh, Catholic um, uh, 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 Medical Association, Mm -hmm. that's the... uh, the, you know, a really good organization, Catholic Medical Association, uh, certainly uh, provides representation in the mm-hmm. opposite areas. Of course, ACOG is great. Uh, they're, they're fantastic. And what they're doing to clarify all the propaganda that's out there uh, in the market, I mean, uh, I, I would wear, if I were the ACOG members mm-hmm. who got booted from that conference or that organization, mm-hmm. I would wear that as a badge of honor because they're the ones that are telling the truth. They're the ones that are exposing the euphemisms. They're the ones that are bringing the realities of what's going on in abortion and the murdering of innocent children to the fore. That, that uh, you know, I think uh, is a, is a right. badge of honor. And I think, uh, you know, why would anybody want to belong to that organization? With pride, get yeah. out of it. Let's start another uh, obstetrics um, and another, uh, uh, you know, OBGYN organization that is much more representative of the truth, medicine, and science.
0: Right, absolutely. And and the fact that they're unwilling to uh, allow or brook uh, alternate opinions and be able to stand up and defend what they're saying just gives you the idea of of how uh, hollow their position actually is and how much it's... Why don't they
1: just call themselves what they really are—a pro-abortion, uh, right. you know, uh, a network and a, and a, you know, a feeder network uh, from one of the pro-abortion, um, you know, um, right. uh, you know, uh, mainstream—not uh, mainstream, but uh, uh, pro-abortion stem organizations. So right. why not just, you know, say what they really are? Right. Unfortunately,
0: not. It's become clearer over the last couple of years, obviously with even the pandemic how much, let's say, interaction and overlap there is between uh, people's financial Mm -hmm. foundation gifting to perspectives that the medical associations are happy to support or get behind Mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily totally based on the science. Yeah, well, that's right.
1: for sure. Right. Yeah. Well, I could go on in that subject well, here's for a another while, one but I won't. i to give you, a, you.
0: I'll give you a softball on that one, okay? It's coming up here. Okay. Here's another story you could talk. Uh, this story, health providers won't help detransitioners who seek to undo the damage of transgender surgery and hormones. That's the headline. This person says, uh, this was a story from about a week or so ago, after being swarmed by health providers who enabled her to medically transition as a minor, this woman now says she's been abandoned by the medical community as she attempts to navigate the complicated and painful detransition. She goes on to say, I was under the impression that my doctors who were transitioning me loved me. They said they didn't want me to die. They were saving my life. They were worried about me, and they wanted me to be healthy and happy, she said. Clearly, they don't love me, because as soon as it's not profitable, they don't want to help. And we're seeing that more and more out there, right? Oh, yeah, no,
1: trying to get the funding for detransitioning is... going to be very difficult not only because of course detransitioning goes against uh the woke wave mm-hmm. uh right that uh, you know transitioning is the best thing you can do for the mm-hmm. health of a person even though it does increase suicides by a factor of 20 times 10 years after the surgery mm-hmm. so uh, uh why in the world y- y- you'd want to think that this is a good healthy um, uh, you know uh a procedure uh, i do not know obviously the anxiety levels are going through the roof on these people 10 yeah. years after the surgery with a lot of buyers remorse that's there too so the point that uh, you know i would want to make is is the detransitioning is also going to yeah. be uh, politically inconvenient because now you're going to have to provide federal funding to undo the damage you did for the first federal funding somebody has to admit at some juncture that you know, um, this money is not uh, being well spent right. um, at the beginning, not at the end. Help the detransitioning people. Don't help the people that that need to get uh, transitioned. Yeah. And and you know, one of the things that's really key too on the on the um, uh, transitioning is those morbidity rates. Once you you uh, have a sex change, the morbidity rates increase by a factor of I believe three times for women and two yeah. times for men. Once the um, uh, you know, that's for any reason whatsoever. You know, it could be anything from drugs to, you know, to suicides to whatever. Those morbidity rates are shooting through the ceiling and uh, doubling and tripling are, are very high. And you wonder, well, what, what is, could be the reason for that? Hello? It's not healthy. This is not good. Why did Great Britain decide Mm. to reverse course, stop gender-affirming therapies, and turn right around and say, we're not funding this or promoting this anymore? Why have they stopped uh, altogether, and why is the United States sitting there promoting it more heavily than ever But what is wrong with us? I mean, shouldn't we be looking not just at how we're going to support people who initially want this. We need to be looking at how we're going to support the people that we've already promoted, you know, this transition. Now they want to turn back and, and of course, they can't get the funding to do so. We should be thinking about doing what Great Britain did. We should be thinking about reassessing everything. The suicide rates, the morbidity rates, the depression rates. You know, it's not, you know, it's no good asking mm-hmm. a person just after they got a sexual reassignment right. surgery, how do you feel? They're always going to say, I-, I feel great. This is exactly what I want. THEN YOU START LOOKING AT THOSE DEPRESSION RATES AND SUICIDE RATES AND MORBIDITY RATES FIVE YEARS AFTER THE SURGERY, AND THEN YOU LOOK AT THEM TEN YEARS AFTER THE SURGERY. WHAT WE NEED ARE THE LONGITUDINAL STUDIES AND THOSE BIG SWEDISH STUDIES THAT DID THE SUICIDE RATES, THOSE IN in A CULTURE, RIGHT, FRIENDLY TO to, to TRANSGENDERS, Right. right? RIGHT, YOU LOOK AT THAT AND YOU SAY TO YOURSELF, HEY. Uh, something's wrong. Something is wrong here. I mean, twenty times increase. You go up from 1.6 percent to 33 percent suicides. So <laughs> this is like crazy. You know, I mean, uh, in, in terms of the, uh, the the ramifications, and the same thing with the morbidity rates. Those studies took place in the Netherlands. Uh, again, uh, you know, the people who did the studies actually ran the clinics that continue to give the hormones that are you know making. Uh, the, the transition's possible. They're the ones that are reporting the doubling and tripling of morbidity rates. Right. So the point I'm trying to get to is there's something amiss. Right. There's something going on. The anxieties that led to the desire for, uh, for the sex change, uh, the gender confusion, the anxieties still remain. And the longitudinal studies of hard facts like morbidity and suicides prove it it proves that there's something wrong here Mm -hmm. and of course you know asking people in an opinion poll how they feel one year after is hardly a good study let's take a look at the big studies the big huge morbidity and suicide hard fact longitudinal studies in sweden and the netherlands that'll tell the truth about what's going right. on and, and I think we'll all right. come to the rational conclusion that England was right, uh, right. in reversing
0: uh, the whole course of action. Yeah, as we talked about on the show uh, months, months and months ago and it's interesting too because you make the point yeah. a lot of the argument well the problem is the culture is unaccepting so that's why these people are still having difficulty but as you point out in in places like Sweden yeah. and, 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 and in the north country there and Norway, exception. that's mm-hmm. very accepting cultures to mm-hmm. these kind of things. And you still have the same yeah. problems. I also wonder what your thoughts on this we don't know, but I wonder if we'll start mm-hmm. to see where maybe at ten years is what the studies show now, that we're going to find as more and more people come out and admit that they were that they're not happy with the way things. that we might not start seeing more and more of it happen sooner, that people now feel more comfortable yeah. coming out and saying, well, you know, I, I maybe took 10 years, but, you know, this really hasn't been working for a long time, so.
1: Oh, I think, you know, the, the um, those studies already... They're out there. In fact, you can see that the depression rates are going up even after five years. Um, That is definitely happening. And the suicide rates are starting to climb after five years. But the real jump takes place after 10 because what's happening is the anxiety levels that were there when they were uh, pre-adolescents, Now it's not just recurring, but the anxiety levels are going up because let's maybe they were um, abused as a child. Mm -hmm. That anxiety was never treated or maybe there was huge anxieties in the family um, uh, th- that they grew up in, but those anxieties were never treated, right? Or maybe, you know, there was um, a latent uh, homosexual desires that were repressed, and, and of course, with the anxieties, mixed in with the anxieties of abuse or the anxieties of... Of um, you know uh, you know um, the parents' mm-hmm. uh, anger levels and so forth in in the uh, in the child's uh, background. You mix all those things together, and those anxieties are just one big ball of self hatred, mm-hmm. and they just come right up again. But the self hatred is uh, interpreted as I need to be another gender by uh, another sex by uh, by the uh, pre adolescent. Mm-hmm. But now when it recurs. WELL, THEY'VE ALREADY HAD THE SURGERY, SO IT COULDN'T BE THAT. THEIR ANXIETIES ARE THERE, THE BUYER'S REMORSE HAPPENS, AND THEN THEY CAN'T GET DETRANSITIONED BACK TO WHAT THEY WERE, AND THAT'S WHERE THE SUICIDE RATES SEEM TO BE. Uh, increasing considerably. So these things are I mean it's highly problematic but you know just accommodating people as pre-adolescents and giving them gender-affirming therapy hormones before they're even they've reached adolescence to stop normal adolescent functioning from happening in order to prepare them for transition. I mean this is like are we crazy? I mean (laughs) am I missing something here? I mean I don't think I'm missing anything. I think this is, uh, you know, woke gone mad, honestly. I, <clears throat> I think, um, you know, people right now <clears throat> will, who might not agree with me, <clears throat> I'm sure they will be very, very violently opposed to what I said. But, uh, like I said, I make, you know, I have a whole chapter on, the, um, a section on this and a chapter uh, in my book. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I've got these studies cited. The studies are secular studies. They're done by people who would ordinarily have been in favor of these things, and they are finding out this data. And Great Britain, as I said just a few years ago, was a great promoter of um, uh, gender-affirming therapy and transition. Right. Today it is the one putting the brakes well, on.
0: And one of the things, too, and I, <clears throat> I was going to get to a question, but we only have two minutes to go to the breaks so I'll, we'll finish out here and we'll pick up. And your question, when we come back from the break, is going to be talking about the four levels of happiness. Somebody wants you to kind oh, of uh, go over that. So that's a little uh, preview of what we'll be we talking about when we come back. Okay. But, but, but the idea for what's going on in the world today, and in, in the idea of people in this kind of false compassion, that they want to be compassionate to people and suffering, and, and, and by doing that, they're not willing to tell people what the truth is.
1: Yeah, I mean, too, for pre adolescence, um, you know, you have to remember the frontal lobe is not developed, and that should be taken very seriously. The fact is, they, their judgment on what should be done should not be automatically accommodated. Uh, it's it's up to parents with do have a full frontal lobe. Mm-hmm. I, I, I we hope uh, you know mm-hmm. that they should be coaching them and trying to give them a mature sense of what's really needed. Just because you feel like you need a uh, um, uh, uh, sexual uh, reassignment surgery doesn't mean that you you should get one Mm -hmm. because the if the anxiety that you're feeling and trying to be relieved from does not originate right there's no genetic or biological uh, causation for man being trapped in a woman's body or woman being trapped Mm -hmm. in a man's body so there's nothing you know genetic or biological about it at all so there's got to be another cause and the cause is a series of anxieties that are producing self-hatred i got abused or uh, you know, the child was abused or the child was was um you know in you know in a h- household where the mm-hmm. anger uh, was very present and he believes or she believes it was directed at right. at them uh, you know and and of course the whole idea of uh, you know not liking yourself if you feel a latent homosexual desire you right. want to, you know move toward that Absolutely. um you know particular sex right so, so we all gotta... those
0: things you know you, We're going to take a break right now. I think, unfortunately, (laughs) it's going to come down to a lot of lawsuits before some of this uh, stuff stops. I agree. We shall see. Unfortunately, that's the way it works here in the States. Uh, Stay with us. Much more ahead uh, with Father Spitzer as we continue in his universe. Stay with us. back to Father Spitzer's universe. You know, even though we're already a week into Lent, it's not too late to sign up for the one and only Father Joseph's Lenten meditations. There's nobody better than Father Joseph. Just go to EWTN.com forward slash Lent and receive meditations prepared by our own Father Joseph for every Sunday in Lent. You'll also get his free ebook to help you grow closer to the Lord this Lent. Go there. EWTN.com forward slash Lent. That would be a great way to Get yourself through the days of Lent and, uh, and learn more about your faith and maybe more reflective. Speaking about being more reflective, we're with Father Spitzer. And we got a couple of questions for him. As I alluded to, sure. uh, the first question was, Dear Father Spitzer, I really appreciate your show. When I hear Father Spitzer talk about the four levels of happiness, I get a little confused. Can you give a quick overview of these levels? This is Cindy, and the accent on the word quick, so... <laughs> Got it. Uh, okay, very good. So uh, uh, level one is it
1: comes from physical, uh, physically stimulated pleasure or from physically materialistic objects. So if you get a new Mercedes 500 E Class, you know uh, you might uh, that that's a level one. Or if you have an ice cream cone or a good bowl of linguine, that's level one. So it's a physically It comes from outside, a physically stimulated pleasure. Level two is what we call ego-comparative happiness. So ego-comparative happiness is the kind that comes from beating a person in a chess game, being at the top of your class, getting into Harvard Law School, getting a promotion at work, whatever kind, you know, where you can become a winner or you can be seen to have status Mm -hmm. or you get admiration or respect. For having that status, that gives you ego-comparative happiness. Then level three happiness is called contributive happiness. And contributive happiness comes when we start making a difference to somebody or something beyond ourselves. When we start uh, leaving a legacy in the world, we're making the world uh, a better place for our having lived. So the idea is when we get to 80 years old, we don't want to look back and go, hmm. What was the difference between the value of my life and that of a rock? And having to say, well, I didn't do much more than the rock uh, for anybody or anything. I basically uh, gratified myself the whole time. And I was really smart. And I was much better than everybody at everything. But I never did anything for anybody mm. or any cause or any ideal that I believed in. So the idea of contributive happiness, though, is it really feels different from ego comparative happiness. Ego comparative happiness is an ego high. It does. It is a good feeling. But uh, when I make a difference to somebody or something beyond myself, that's kind of a spirit, another sort of spirit-filled high, mm-hmm. that um, you know is is a, a different kind of a high. My life makes a difference, and uh, you know made a difference this particular person they're getting along i mean i, I you know we have a, a, a need uh, to, to make our lives worthwhile in terms of the good that we can do. And the fourth kind of happiness will come as no surprise to anybody. It's the highest form of happiness for all the great philosophers and even psychologists, and that is a happiness that comes from faith or relationship with God or relationship with the transcendent or the ultimate. So, all of us inside of us, mm-hmm. right, we have a desire for ultimacy and eternity. We have a desire for perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home. We have a desire to be in relationship with the one who is eternal, with the one who is perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and all. We have a desire to be in relationship with the person who can give us ultimate meaning in life and ultimate significance and ultimate dignity and bring us to our ultimate happiness, our ultimate end, and our ultimate fulfillment. So, you know, this, it's built into us from the very beginning. We're built, we come into the world, you know, with this. You know, a hole in our souls mm-hmm. desiring to be filled by God. So that's uh, uh, basically the fourth. When I, you know, have a relationship mm-hmm. with God, there's a kind of a peace. It may not be the kind of happiness that comes from doing something good for somebody or getting an ego right. satisfaction or having an ice cream cone. But the, the main thing, though, is it really does. Uh, Fill us with a sense of peace and stability and security, and that's why I quoted that uh, American uh, Psychological uh, Psychiatric Association study from uh, 2004 comparing religiously affiliated and non-religiously affiliated people. Non-religiously affiliated people really has doubling and tripling. Of um, you know, depression, anxiety, substance yeah. abuse, um, uh, uh, antisocial aggressivity, familial tensions, suicidal ideation, and suicides. Whoa! Then we need religion. Right. I mean, without it, we are so empty. <coughs> we are so filled with a sense of anxiety
0: and dread right. and malaise. Exactly. So those are the those are and the f- translates those, right so those are the four mm-hmm. kind of gives you a top line idea when father's using number 1 and number 2 and some of his answers and things right. over the and you can also uh, get uh, go to his website and get some more information about that and uh, and get uh, more in depth here's another question for your father uh, dear father spitzer mm-hmm. my 24 year old son told me He now believes in God after seven years of declared atheism. When I asked why he stopped believing, he said something was missing in his faith, but he didn't know what it was. He's hesitant about Catholicism. I'm overjoyed at his change of heart after all these years of fervently praying for him, but what do I do now? Should I give him your book, Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, or is there something else I should be doing? Any advice you can give me would be most appreciated. And this is Monica. I wonder if that's really Monica, really her name, Monica, but uh, <laughs> very Augustine there. But, uh, yeah, I am very Augustinian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it right. yeah, couldn't be more appropriate. Right, <laughs> right, right. Well,
1: I, I would say uh, I probably wouldn't start with moral wisdom of the Catholic Church yet. Um, you know, that might be one stage down the road. I think <clears throat> he may want to just get a sense of the Catholic Church you know, from a, um, um, you know, chapter one of Christ versus Satan in our daily lives, uh, that might be a good, uh, I'm sorry, um, Escape from Evil's Darkness. Mm-hmm. Chapter one might be a good um, explanation of the church. So uh, if you go to Escape mm-hmm. from Evil's Darkness, if you want to know why the Catholic Church, that's in chapter one. And then if you want to know well, why the sacraments, why should you know, we believe in baptism, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, all of those things are in chapter two. And then how do you start a Catholic spiritual life is in chapter three. The other chapters concern moral conversion, but I would definitely go and give him chapters one through three of Escape from Evil's Darkness, and that might give him a rationale for why be Catholic.
0: Okay, very good. And one last question before we get to our topic. Dear Father Spitzer, I'm Lutheran and my wife is Catholic. I support and love her Catholic faith. I watch E.W. EWTN along with her all the time. Is there a way that I can retain my Lutheran status as my grandfather was a pastor who I admired and still participate as much as possible with my wife in her faith, such as communion or the other sacraments? Question mark Is there a way to become a dual citizen of the two faiths? And this is Cliff.
1: Well, Cliff, really, you, you can't be a, a complete dual citizen. I, I could see, you know, um, you'd probably have to, well, no, you'd have to make a formal conversion to the Catholic Church. So you'd probably have to go through some form of RCIA and come into communion with the Catholic Church in order to receive the Holy Eucharist, but that wouldn't prohibit you uh, from being able to, in, in some sense, uh, you know, uh, continue to... Uh, associate with uh, your par- your uh, church, your Lutheran church, in some way, mm-hmm. uh, by way of community or something of that nature. But you, you would have to make a, a formal profession and probably just uh, do the uh, RCIA mm-hmm. and come into the church in a formal way. So, um, uh, in order to do right. that, but you're not prohibited from associating right. with your previous church. Uh, but, um, yeah, dual citizenship um, uh, is not quite there yet because you have a pulling apart because of uh, some real doctrinal differences. Right. But uh, thanks for thinking about uh, even um, coming into the church. Right. It would be right. a, a great thing if you did.
0: Yeah, and, and, and if he has come to believe that the Catholic Church is the, is the true church, uh, then I'm sure his grandfather yeah. would want him to follow his conscience, right?
1: Absolutely, and his grandfather, if he's deceased, would probably he already Say, knows what uh, the truth yeah, is right that, that's a, <laughs>
0: yeah exactly
1: so maybe he does
0: so let's move into satan's <laughs> tactics uh and the you talk about the destructiveness of pride in literature and i'm going to jump ahead because we kind of talked a little bit about uh, macbeth but i wanted to focus on something mm-hmm. we hadn't talked to It's john milton's epic paradise lost oh, which oh, considers yeah. the inning workings of of the sin of pride through the self-justification of its chief advocate, Satan, before the other fallen angels, Mammon, Beelzebub, Be'elial, and Belial, and Moloch, mm-hmm. um, and so though Milton yeah. considers pride from many other angles, particularly in the original sin of Adam and Eve, the speeches made by Satan to his fellow angels best exemplify the pure state of pride that could move an angelic being to resent and reject the creator who fashioned him in love. And I think that's one of the things people are always confused about. How, how could the angels, knowing what they know, how could a third of them reject that?
1: Yeah, well the idea is uh, for Milton, and I think he's right, mm-hmm. is that uh, you want to be at the top and no one else can be at the top, even though the other, like it, God really is the one who is at the top because he's ontologically higher you have to convince yourself <clears throat> that you can will yourself to be above him so you would rather take an eternity of separation uh, and all the uh, you know emptiness and the pain that it involves the darkness that it involves you would rather do that than as he says you know genuflect uh, for a single second in heaven right i'm not going to serve for a single, non servium, right? Mm. I'm not gonna serve for a single second in heaven. Uh, Just uh, send me down to hell. So here's, uh, you know, uh, Satan trying to convince his, FELLOW DEVILS DOWN THERE TRYING TO BUCK THEM UP, Mm. RIGHT? OKAY, YOU GUYS, IT'S NOT SO BAD DOWN HERE. I MEAN, JUST THINK OF IT THIS WAY. I MEAN, AT LEAST WE GET TO HAVE OUR OWN WAY. Mm -hmm. AT LEAST WE DON'T HAVE TO BE SUBSERVIENT TO, YOU KNOW, GOD EVEN, YOU KNOW, AND OF COURSE, HE THEN GOES TO THE ULTIMATE LIE IN FRONT OF HIS OWN FELLOW DEVILS WHO ALL KNOW IT'S THE ULTIMATE LIE THAT REALLY THEY DESERVE TO BE ON TOP. AND EVEN, YOU KNOW, WHEN YOU REALLY THINK ABOUT IT, We are on top. It's not God who created us that's on top. You know, it's just, uh, uh, you know, he he gives this kind of false, you know, Mm -hmm. argument for why they can be on top. And they all know it's a lie, but they all go in for the lie because they really do want to be on top. So I I just thought, oh, Mm -hmm. this is just perfect. It's the pure manifestation of pride. And, you know, uh, uh, Milton portrays it, you know, as if, you know, devil's a, a kind of... Uh, you know, are are reconsidering, you know, they're getting down on, you know, being in misery down there. And so he's trying to buck them up. by saying, hey, Mm -hmm. you know, think about it. But I I do like the image because it really does represent what people, their preference to be on the top, their preference not to serve anybody, their preference not to just be autonomous, but to control everybody and everything um, with themselves, you know, being at the top. Um, that definitely is the the problem and uh... you know god is the one at the top and at the end of the day he does have the last word and at the end of the day he's the one and only creator and at the end of the day he's the one and only redeemer and so um, you can't be at the top uh... you just have to accept reality for what it really is and the devil says no my whole purpose in life is to live a lie I want to live a lie to to put myself uh, where I do not belong.
0: Right, because what he falsely and inauthentically asserts to his allies, he is self-begotten and self-raised, which is what you were saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. It's also, exactly. and, and I made uh, myself. Right. Yeah. And he's he's self deceiving for himself and others. The other thing is, you know, we talk about I'd rather uh, rule in hell than serve in heaven, but who, nobody's ruling yeah. in hell, are they really? I mean, it's not like, no. is, is there really an upside well. there, you know, or uh, maybe there is at one level, yeah. but, you know.
1: Well, you know, they get to lord it over each other, so mm-hmm. they get to make uh, one another's lives miserable. Um, and but, they must uh, hate each other, uh, I mean, they have to have hate the, each other, right, yeah. I mean, for that, right? they do.
0: And revenge oh, yeah. and all the things that come out of that pride, right? Yep, resentment, pride,
1: revenge, envy, uh, all of it gets to be manifest 24-7, uh, but boy, you know, I just love, uh, you know, having it my way, mm. and I love for my one second I can rule somebody uh i would rather endure an eternity of misery i mean that's that's the whole idea that milton's captured so beautifully and i think you know uh, in so many respects so many other literary uh geniuses mm. have captured uh you know pride right. you know and it's you know it, it, no holds right. barred you know and at the end of the day it's it's right. so destructive and the one thing that really you know is a head scratcher is in this culture pride is kind of considered
0: well, that's an acceptable sin, you know, I mean, well, after all, the I selfie, am superior. Selfie, selfie and, generation where oh. people are spending more time taking pictures of themselves.
1: Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, it. what harm am I doing? Well, you're doing horrible harm to yourself, which ultimately leaks out to horrible harm to all the people who love you uh, that uh, surround you. You, you, you know, you know, the... You know the the proud person. It's not just that pride cometh before destruction and mm-hmm. and a haughty heart before the fall. I mean the the, the you know the main thing with, with pride too is it you just gotta con- start controlling and dominating and hating and resenting everybody around you, and it's very very unpleasant. Right. for all those people, particularly if they love you, and see, you know, that you're, not only they have to suffer the abuse from you, but they also see your course of self-destruction. Right. And
0: that's where and you so see, it's, uh, uh, it's that's where you hear these stories about people also talk about, well, I don't understand these, you know, my friends have all changed. Uh, I don't know why they're different to me than they were before. And it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. you know. Maybe they're not the ones. Maybe right.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So you're right. I mean, I think. Yeah. uh, Go go ahead. No, I was just going to mention the old Hitler deal. You know that at the end of the day, you know, Hitler thought, "I've always been like this. I am the Messiah for humanity." Yeah, 60 million people dead later. You
0: know. Well, you make that. Speaking of the Nazis, you make the connection as well to the idea with from Milton the idea of satan and the false projection of self through and through like in a sense a, Nietzsche's view of of will to divine power rather than just will to power.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I I can take the place of God, you know, and and Hitler certainly thought that. He really did have not just missing any pretensions. He believed himself to be a kind of uh, messianic figure. And that, uh, you know, when you get that kind of overweening pride, um, you know, which of course he, he believed he was superior in race, and then he talked himself into believing that he was superior, uh, you know, in everything, every other quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, leadership quality was just basically dominating everybody. That's what he called leadership, instead of getting yeah. somebody to, to a place that was more positive yeah. in their lives. It was just how do I dominate you and how do I subject anybody, victimize everybody that I consider to be, you know, lower, you know, subsidiary, not, you know, subhuman,
0: not worth living. Right. And he was uh, well known for spending lots of time in front of mirrors when he would practice his speeches. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes.
1: Yes, he did. And not only, um, you know, he would. Be you know shouting and you know doing all these things, and Goebbels would be coming into the room and oh Adolf you sound so good, <laughs> you know, and so forth. I mean, just uh, sycophantically, you know, building up that ego more and more and more, and um, oh, well, it, it, that 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 was the Nazi deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was all always self uh... not just self-serving, self-glorifying. What? You know, it's a uh, you know, we're not talking about just being fascinated with the self. We're, we're talking about glorifying and deifying the self. And and they did. Right. Uh, you know, uh, Gehring is going through, you know, uh, robbing everybody of every art piece Pete, and everything right, yeah. in the whole wide world. And he said, I have a right to it. <clears throat> you know, I'm the superior guy here. I have a right to all of this. Right. And you look at that and go, ooh, <laughs> whoa. So uh, anyway, that's the... Uh,
0: and, the, and it uh, is interesting too, uh, in a sense, how, and, and 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 I'm not praising it, but the snappy kind of uniforms and things that they would make for themselves, which oh, were yeah. very very, you know, oh, put yeah. together and very something that made them look really important. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And reinforce oh, yeah, what they thought them of look, themselves. Yeah, glorious. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. Exactly. You say, <laughs> in my view, Milton has explored profoundly the complete self-deception of pride and its capacity to engender a choice for eternal misery through anger, resentment, and hatred toward the truth of creaturehood before the unconditionally loving God. Yeah, that's the whole point.
1: I'm not creature, I'm creator. Uh, Hey, creator up there, get out of the way. Uh, You know, I'm gonna do everything I can to despoil you from your position. Well, you can't despoil the creator. Mm. And that's the, comp- that's the best illusion of all, that at the end of the day, I'm going to beat that guy. Well, you're not going to beat that guy. I mean, he just is, is, as St. Right. Uh, Thomas Aquinas would put it. He is being itself, and we're not being itself. We are, by our very natures, you know, derivative from his good will, mm. uh, not only to create us, but to sustain right. us in
0: being. Right. Let's jump ahead in the closing couple of minutes we have here. We talk about mm-hmm. Macbeth, which I know we talked a little bit about before, and everybody yeah. knows the three witches and, and, and yeah. how this thing starts. One of the things that struck me, and this will maybe a little off topic in, in reading through the book and talking about, is the idea, you know, you got the witches with Macbeth, and then you have the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the other witches giving their own, uh, to, what's it, to Banquo, right, telling him, where he yeah. fit into the picture, yeah. and and that idea of yeah. of dealing with these kind of supernatural information doesn't always work out so well. Yeah. So maybe the church has got a good idea of staying away from that, right?
1: Oh yeah, no. I mean the whole idea of going to, uh, you know, um, palm readers or fortune tellers or anybody who claims to use paranormal power, you know, uh, to uh, uh... to you know predict the future and of course some people think "Oh, this person has some uncanny ability to do this but of course the point is is the information is never going to be truthful because at the end of the day who is sitting there at the base of the paranormal? Who's trying to give information that what God did not intend from the very beginning to give us? Mm-hmm. Who's doing this? Of course it's a diabolical or dark power uh, that's uh, trying to do it. And, and why would he be doing that? Because he wants to engender, you know, as in the case of Macbeth, pride. Mm-hmm. Or engender greed in the case of Scrooge, or whoever you know, whatever it, it may be, he's trying to get something. He's trying to get you to believe <clears throat> that you are going to get something that truly you are destined for, truly you are deserving of. You're going to get some something like right. the kingship, or you're going to get you know a, a domination over the economies of the world, right? You're going to have something of that nature. Something good is coming. But there's always going to be falsity in it. Right. There's always and, going
0: to be falsity and then it impacts uh, implanted it did, in it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that affects the decisions you would have normally made. And maybe you start avoiding you. what your conscience tells you should be doing and start doing stuff that you think is moving you in your f- fatalistic fulfillment. In you, Oh, not only fatalistic, but right. in your
1: just deserts. Mm-hmm. I deserve to be king. And therefore, because you know this is what I was destined for, I just have to do a little, uh, you know, con- reconfiguration of reality. I got to kill a few people <laughs> here, uh, get them out of the way, so that I can kind of pave the way more smoothly for the ascendancy, uh, you know, to which right. I was destined. So Absolutely. that's the uh, that's okay. the, the key thing, and, and it happens all the time. Uh, so much so that it. Uh, that uh, people destroy themselves in, in pride again and again and again. Absolutely. Macbeth is a perfect example of what not right. to do. And with next week your life.
0: we will return to Macbeth and the interesting relationship oh. between him and his wife and how they both follow different paths. We'll talk about that next time and if you can give us your blessing, father, that'd be great absolutely and bow your heads and
1: pray for God's blessing and may Almighty God send his Holy Spirit the spirit of truth the spirit of wisdom the spirit of love the spirit of peace upon you so that you might rightly discern the truth toward which you are destined the life which will lead not only to your salvation but the salvation of those you
0: touch in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit amen thank you so much Father Spitzer Be well. We shall see you next week. And don't forget, Father Spitzer's books and DVDs are naturally available through our EWTN Religious Catalog. Next week, we'll continue talking about pride, kind of wrapping things up before we move on to the Eucharist. This weekend, uh, on Bookmark, I got a chance to talk with George Weigel about his book, To Sanctify the World, The Vital Legacy of Vatican II, very interesting book. And we have Work Out Your Salvation, The Theology of Faithfulness to Daily Duty. One and only Father Wade Menis's very popular Father Mercy priest shows us how we can live a life of grace by faithfully attending to the responsibilities in our daily life. Begins this Saturday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, exclusively, exclusively, I can say that on EWTN. And we'll see you next time right here in Father Spitzer's Universe. Be well.